0: Welcome to the Protectors of Cool Stuff podcast, where it's all about working smart now. See your patents stay protected later. And now, your host, T. Marlowe.
1: So, just as a little background, I'm Thomas Marlowe. Previously, I headed up the IP department at Fairchild Semiconductor, registered patent attorney, chief technology officer at Black Hills IP. Nothing is cookie cutter. Without a good, aligned strategy, the best you can hold for is mediocrity. you don't know that, just a bunch of pretty graphs and charts. The global landscape around IP procurement and enforcement is changing. The strategies Allies have to fall and rainbows. But it's up to the business rainbows. to make the informed decision. The comes down to it's where IP strategy begins. Graph. All that cool stuff protected by those rights, that's where the value lies. Annuities All are a work. topic near and dear to my heart. You want to keep your patent? You pay your annuity.
0: Welcome to the Protectors of Cool Stuff Podcast, brought to you by Black Hills IP. You've got Giles here, I'm the VP of Marketing here at BeHip. I'm here with our host Tom Marlow, and boy do we have a guest for you today. We have the founder of my provisional patent, Mark Peterson. You typically won't find many patent attorneys who can actually juggle fire, but for Mark, who has literally drafted hundreds of patent applications during the past decade, juggling fire is the way that he relaxes. His grace under pressure and multitasking skills are quite evident, not only in his startling productivity, but also his full head of hair. Mark is also a partner at Dickey, Billigan, where he brings extensive patent management experience to his clients in a broad range of industries. He focuses his practice on patent prosecution, opinions, appeals, and related business transactions. He has also been named by his peers as a rising star in the legal community. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you.
2: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yeah, Mark, thanks,
1: thanks for joining us. So for the benefit of our listeners, can you give us a little bit of your background, what's brought you to where we are today? Sure, well my uh,
2: engineering background is in electrical engineering.
1: Nice. So right out of undergrad,
2: I worked in industry for several years. Oh nice, where? I worked for Unico, which is a drive systems Mm -hmm. manufacturer, and I was a part of their field service team, so I was involved with going out to customer sites, setting up their new systems, and also troubleshooting them if they broke down. Sure. And then uh, I did that for about two years, but I got tired of traveling constantly. Uh-huh.
1: being <laughs> out in the field like, right. all the time. And my
2: wife got tired of me being gone. <laughs> <laughs> I can appreciate that. So then I went to a local company, Cooper Power Systems, mm-hmm. which is now owned by Eaton. Oh yeah, they, okay. They build uh, those big transformers that you see around town to transform your power to your house and that type of thing, or outside factories. Nice. So I worked there for about five years. And while I was going there, that's when I started law school. Sure. So I was working
1: full-time and I was going to law school at night. What made you say, as an engineer, you know, working with technology, hey, maybe law school would be interesting? Because that's a step a lot of engineers, you know, path they don't necessarily think yep. about even going down. Sure. It actually started in uh, engineering school
2: because uh-huh. they offered uh, two legal classes. They offered business law and they offered IP law. No kidding. And I took both of those and it, it just, it, I was very interested in it, but you know, at the time, it just sitting in the back of my mind. Sure. But then what happened when I was working at Cooper, Marquette, which is in Milwaukee, which is where I was living, Yep. they just started a part-time program For for attorneys. Nice. That was at night. So it's like, you know, this opportunity was perfect timing. I thought I'd go give it a shot. And then uh, so I did.
1: Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. My brother's a Marquette alum. Sure. Yeah.
2: Well, if you go to Wisconsin, you only have two choices (laughs) (laughs) it's either Marquette or Madison.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So then into the IP field and Yep.
2: After I graduated uh, law school, I came to Minneapolis to start working with uh, Dickey, Bill, and Seja. And
1: And, you've been there since. And I've been there ever since, yeah. Nice. Well, that's great. So we're going to talk a little bit today specifically about uh, a very specific type of application, provisional applications. Um, I I know it's an area that you've spent a little bit of time, but uh, I guess one of the reasons that I particularly like the provisional application. Is one because they're easy. You don't have to. You don't have to worry about formalities, um, which is kind of nice at times. But they also get you that extra year. That you know, in effect, 21 years uh, of term if you take advantage of it, right? Right. How how often would you say in your practice you advise the use of a provisional application? At the onset. In
2: my, in my practice, it's probably about 20 to 30 percent. Okay. Uh, it's usually for the smaller smaller companies mm-hmm. that uh, don't have a lot of money up front, perhaps, yep. or another uh, case where it happens quite a bit is when they have a new product that they're either going to sort a trade show or they're going to disclose it to uh, some potential customers Yeah. or they've they've got a research paper that's going to be
1: published. Yeah, usually the, like next week, right? <laughs> right. That's when they'll come in and say, uh,
2: you know, we were thinking we might want to get a patent on this. Uh, what do you think? And I was like, yeah, you might want to get a patent on that before you disclose it. <laughs> mm-hmm. and so then in that case, it's usually go with the provisional because it is much easier to put it together quickly and yep. without having to go through all the formal parts of a full-blown application.
1: Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. And I know I've, I've seen, and you probably heard, folks kind of uh, caution against provisionals, at least with respect to quick ones, due to concerns around enablement and written description. Is it going to actually do enough when you get to the non provisional sure. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's one important
2: thing to really be careful with, uh, especially for these uh, do-it-yourself type pat- provisional patents. That could be quite dangerous. Yeah. Because usually when the client comes into us, you know, they have their idea, and that's most of it's in their head still, <laughs> and they haven't
1: really yeah written it out, or or they know of the product, and they right. can describe the product. But that might just be a little piece of what the invention actually is. Right. 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 And, so the, the first thing we do is have them,
2: you know, really focus on what are the key features of this invention that make it unique. Yeah. And then we have them try and flush that out to get to the to the
1: meat of the invention mm-hmm. and then figure out how to describe that so it's fully protected for full. that's a really good point. Because I've seen a lot of times like you said, when when small small shops or, or single inventors come in with something that they've tried to put together first, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it seems like they focus in so much on like almost like the detail of what it is that they're trying to do in their particular invention that differentiates it from others, and not necessarily thinking broadly. It, you know, it's more like I want to describe my product and not necessarily I want to describe what I don't want somebody else to be able to do, which is a different way of thinking about the invention, right? Right. Um, because oftentimes these product designers, these inventors, they've got a really good understanding of how they want to solve the problem and they aren't necessarily thinking about since a patent is, in effect, a negative right. how do they not want somebody else to act? You know, what might be another way that somebody could compete with this product that might not be as optimal as what they're doing but might still be competitive? And a lot of times that doesn't make it into a self-written provisional application, right? right I'm right. sure you've seen plenty of those.
2: Well, yeah, that's all, one of the things we do is ask them, you know what other ways could you do this yeah. you know give us examples of you know what if you tried this or you did it this way yeah if someone had this how would you get around it yeah and then we try to get all that into the provisional
1: pattern right and avoid language like it has to be done this way right it's always <laughs> it could be or maybe or right right exactly non yeah non limiting <laughs> language are there are there particular situations where you would advise a client against going down a provisional route and jump straight to non-provisional?
2: If they're concerned about uh, enforcing it as soon as possible, hmm. then uh, you know a non-provisional would be the way to go.
1: Get it in the pipeline quick.
2: Because you can't enforce it until it's granted. Yeah. So if they have a a product that's already been shipped or soon to be shipped, and they're worried about potential infringement. Then they might want to
1: get that full patent through the system as quickly as yeah. possible. Get it Get it onto somebody's desk. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. So you've got um, a piece of software, uh, correct, that you've you've worked on. Uh, My provisional patent. Yep. It's called myprovisionalpatent.com. Dot com. Okay. And. This is where you've tapped a little bit of your, the engineering side of you, because I understand you you built it yourself. I did, yes. Well, that's commendable, <laughs> and I, I suppose kind of a, a little bit of a cathartic exercise outside of uh, just writing patent applications and yeah, it's working a little, with
2: the, little different skill
1: set. Which yeah, is, which, is which is nice. Kind of nice. So, uh, can you tell me a little bit about how it works? Sure. What. The, the the idea came about
2: because we get calls coming into the office from inventors, and usually these are individual inventors. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know they ask about patents, so we tell them about patents, and then tell them about provisional patents, like the things we've discussed. Yeah. And then they, of course they ask about the price, <laughs> <laughs> and then we give them the price, and then you. That usually
1: ends the conversation. Wait a minute, that's that's more expensive than the $140 that somebody told me these things would cost.
2: Yeah, you know, for because we typically charge, you know, depending on the complexity, it could Mm -hmm. be $2,500 or more. Sure. For a quick and dirty provisional patent application. Right. And even that's quite a bit of money for a lot of people. Yeah. So I've had, you know, over the years, this has happened multiple times where. You know, we give, they come in for a consultation and then they realize that it's just, it's out of their range to be able to afford something like that. Yeah. So I tried to come up with, you know, how can we make this less expensive that makes it work for the law firms
1: mm-hmm. or
2: for the attorneys that are doing the work, but also for the potential clients. So then I tried to put technology to the problem. And that's where my original patent came out. Because a lot of the, cost of preparing the provisional is extracting the information from the inventor. Yep. So what the uh, the website does is, it, based on you know my own process for filing a provisional application, I kind of put all that information on the site to extract all that information from the inventor.
1: Get without them thinking about what do they need to be thinking about? Right. Put it in writing
2: without having the the attorney to be too involved with that process. Sure.
1: And then of course
2: that saves a lot of time, which is money. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right. So on the website, what they do is they can register for an account and then once they register for for an account, they can start an application. And the first thing it does is tell them what all the requirements are to see if they're even eligible to obtain a patent. That's, that's a good first step. Right. And that, you know, that can filter them out right there. If they get past that, then it goes through a series of questions and they, they just fill in the text about, you know, what is their invention? What are the advantages? Uh, it goes through and tells them how to prepare figures mm-hmm. for the invention. And then it goes through and it extracts the information about those figures. Nice. And they can do this, you know, on their own time. It's completely free to use that part of the system. And once they've got all their data in there, or at least a minimal part of the data, they can uh, engage with it with a patent attorney through the through the site. Got it. Which is where then the patent attorney can get involved and help them to fine tune that application.
1: So the idea isn't for the inventor to go in and fill this out and hit a button and then file their own provisional application. No, no it's not. That's, which
2: that's what I was trying to avoid. Which
1: is good. I think that makes a lot of sense because there's, there's a few more nuances that you want someone uh, professional exactly. to take a look at before, you know, what wording did you use? Uh, you know, are there areas that you want to expand things? But if, in effect, what you've done is, taken out a lot of the attorney time, which is not necessarily value-add.
2: Right, instead of having to draft the entire application from scratch, yeah. the, the the software basically gives them a preliminary application, Sure. which they can go in and just modify as needed.
1: Right, because you don't want to, especially when you're a small company or a sole inventor, you don't want to spend a bunch of attorney time, basically using the patent attorney as a a dictation service, right? right? That's a pretty expensive way to go at it. So you're kind of taking that piece out of the picture. The inventor can get as much information in a guided fashion down onto the paper so that you can minimize the time that the attorney has to spend. And it's all pretty high value time at that point. Right, because once they have that, then like there'll be a consultation
2: between the attorney sure. and the and the client to make sure you know what they've provided there is sufficient and if not, at that point the attorney can ask for more information, which they can go right back into that same system to add that very easily. I like that because it's all it's all saved and it, you can insert the data wherever you want. But then on the on the on the attorney side. We have a I have a program that's external to the website that takes all that data and formats it into the into the application that the attorney works uh, on. Oh, very cool. So that they, when they're when the attorney sees it, you know they've got the the application with all the figures described and all the data that the inventors put in in a typical patent format, yep. you know, ready to file, but just needing tweaking instead of a full.
1: Rewrite nice so when when a client uses a tool like that how much how much time on average do you see saved if if you were to just estimate at least half, oh wow, yeah that's I and especially for a small company that's that's real money,
2: yes, yeah, so the yeah we priced it at. At nine hundred fifty dollars, uh huh, so, and that's a fixed fee. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how big their application is, how many figures they have, how many pages they have, it's to, the same fee. And for that, they get you know email and telephone consultations. Oh, that covers pay. the
1: the attorney time. It's co- that covers the attorney
2: time. Holy cow! Wow. Which is about half of what you know we typically charge of twenty five hundred to thirty
1: thousand. Oh yeah. Less. Yeah. yeah. That's a great deal uh, and, and that's a number that is you know for for a company or an inventor that's serious about what they're doing, right like you should be able to stomach that and if you if you can't, if it's not worth a thousand dollars to invest into your product or your idea at that stage, then maybe you need a, a little bit more of a critical look at what the value of that idea really is, in the, you know, from a market perspective, sure. right? Yeah, it, it trades, the, the client
2: has to do a little bit more of the work. Mm-hmm. But by doing that, they can save quite a bit of money. Yeah. So that's yeah. the trade-off.
1: Oh, that's really neat. So is this a tool that you uh, that is exclusive to your firm?
2: Currently, yeah, all the attorneys... Are through our firm. So okay. if you use the site, you'll get a DBC attorney. Yep. Dickie Billings Asia. Sure. Uh, but if you know if there's, we also do referrals to the to the site. So if somebody calls and they they don't want to do the typical route, you know we refer them to this as well. Sure. And the attorney that refers them can also. Be the attorney on the case if they wish. Oh, okay. So yeah, if someone had a particular DBC attorney that they wanted to work with, they can contact them directly. Yep. Before they use the system, and if they're amenable to being uh, to doing the work, then they they can get that work. Got it. Yeah.
1: But All right. right now it is just DBC attorneys. Got it. Got it. Well, hey, that's a that's a bonus for the firm for sure. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Do you, do you foresee uh, expanding it out and bringing other attorneys or other firms kind of into the, the it, network it could be yeah
2: there, there, there's, there's there is that possibility
1: yeah yeah oh it's it's really interesting because I know uh, just being a patent attorney um, folks will come to you on the street or you know people that you know or pe- friends of people that you know oh you're a patent attorney right i've got this great idea Mm -hmm. probably a million dollar idea right (laughs) um how do i how do i get this protected and you know some of it's like you know maybe you don't want to (laughs) (laughs) and every now and then there's some interesting things where they actually have a business behind it and they've they've got something that's that's of value and i've worked with folks showed them you know, here's a template that I've used for provisional applications. You might want to take a look at this. These are the things that you ought to be thinking about. What you've developed is essentially a more sophisticated version of that.
2: Right, because the biggest problem a lot of people have is they don't know where to start.
1: That's the truth.
2: And this gives them, like, a
1: step-by-step system to kind of extract their invention. Do you deal with, or do you have any questions in there that uh, broach the topic of, like, inventorship or prior art or that kind of stuff? Do you get them thinking about that? Well,
2: before, we
1: recommend that everybody do a search mm-hmm. before they even get started.
2: But uh, in, yeah, inventorship, we do we do define, you know, an inventor is someone who contributed to the conception of the invention. Yeah. So that's, that's you know, listed in there.
1: That's one that I've definitely seen before talking. I have one particular comes to mind i won't go into the details but uh this gentleman was saying you know i I had this this great idea and then i started working with uh this uh, design house and they came up with a much better way for me to do it and now that's my product (laughs) i say well so (laughs) you want to protect this much better way to do it oh yeah that's the route that we're going down now (laughs) You might want to talk with them. Yeah, you wouldn't Te- be the inventor. Technically, you know, you might not be the inventor here. Like, oh, the, they'll be, they'll be fine with it. Well, <laughs> might want to get that one in writing. It's interesting
2: <laughs> that you bring that up because we had a, a client recently that uh, he actually went to school with me in, uh, in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's got a business in Minneapolis that creates custom parts for customers. So they have a problem. Mm-hmm. They're building a machine, and they need a custom part built for their machine. So you know, they send it to him and he designs it, manufactures it, and delivers it. And he had this one case he called he called like about a week before the uh, one year date uh-huh. was coming up for anywhere it, that it was just you know delivered to the client sure and the client was threatening to take his design and have it manufactured somewhere else ah because you get it done cheaper sure <laughs> so that it's like yeah you know, well need to get a patent on that so that's what we did we immediately filed a provisional patent application we also did a design patent as well sure so hopefully that'll uh,
1: stop them in their tracks from oh, that's yeah, interesting. stealing their design. Well, and that's, that's a good one that a lot of, a lot of folks, especially small businesses early in their stages, when they go to a manufacturer or design house to get their amazing new product, uh, you know, made into something tangible. Um, sometimes there's input that the designer or, um, the manufacturer that you're working with has to put into it. Okay. in practice. It's not going to quite work this way. We're going to tweak it like this and then we can, we can make it. And, um, I'm sure you've seen it, uh, as well, but so many times any kind of an agreement that covers ownership of IP is an afterthought, right? Right. And if you don't lay that out on the forefront, well, maybe there's a question mark. Yeah, this in this case it probably would have never come up
2: if they hadn't received that threat to take the design away or lower the price. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. But
2: if it'd been just a month later, you know they might have been out of luck.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Well, so we got got something on file. Yep, yep. Oh, that's good. As far as I know they're they're still selling them the parts so. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, and look at that. I, IP protecting revenue. Yep. And that's what it's there for. Well, so um if if folks are interested in learning more about my provisional patent uh do you would you say send them to MyProvisionalPatent.com? or reach out to you directly? Yeah, they can go
2: to myprovisionalpatent.com. There's a contact page there.
1: And how about uh, practitioners that might be interested in, you know, seeing if they can get access to your tool? They could
2: also email me either directly or through
0: info at myprovisionalpatent.com. Great. And a huge shout out to our audience. Thank you for watching, listening, and consuming everything we have to offer here at Black Hills IP. And until next time, go protect all that cool stuff.